1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 75 for February 9th, 2012? It is.
0: And we're finishing off the publishing year of 1991 by taking a look at Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation annual number twos.
1: Excellent. Big, beefy stories. Yes.
0: And... Uh, like last year, they seem to have an unofficial theme, which
1: this theme I think would be Starfleet Academy. Would you agree? Definitely more so with the original Trek annual than the second, but there's a lot of stuff in Next Gen harkening back to Academy days. Right, which
0: which I was surprised on. It's, we don't we don't see the Starfleet Academy uh, that much, uh, especially in flashbacks for the next generation. So it was cool to see it.
1: Exactly. There was just that little stuff they did in the TV show where when Wesley went there. Right, but it wasn't. It but wasn't was really, really a flashback. It. Yeah. No. No. Yep. Yeah, and this one, of course, as we'll find out, is for Riker's days in the Academy. <sighs> Spoiler, man. We're they're gonna hear it soon. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. You wanna wanna get started so that, that we can get there faster? I think so. I have the pleasure of doing the original track annual which is really cool because it's about kirk's days in starfleet academy which is really cool you know i was i was engaged in this story so i'm looking forward to hopefully not boring the studio audience so are this you saying rather, that this is a rather long one
0: and it's more entertaining than just gary mitchell saying that kirk was a uh, book on legs
1: <laughs> a walking yeah right a, oh. a stack of books on books on legs or, or something? Yeah, something like that. There are so many cool things in this story that tie in references during the TV show back to those days. So many things that were said in the original Kirk pilot are tied in very nicely in this story. I, I really like how they did that. Yeah, me too. So not only a stack of books on legs, but... If I didn't aim that little blonde lab tech at you, I almost married her. That was great. Spoiler. But what? <laughs> we can't say. Okay, fine. Let's start. Let's okay. Start. So, published date is 1991, and the title is Starfleet Academy. Yes. The writer is Peter David, uh, the Star Trek academic. Penciler, James Fry, who does pages 1 through 20, interestingly enough. And then Kurt Swan, who finishes it up by penciling pages 21 through 53. Very interesting way of handling it. Letters, Bob Panaha. Inker, Arnie Starr. Colorist, Tom McGraw. Dean of Students, i.e. editor. Robert Greenberger. The cover shows Kirk from five different time periods in his career, and of course in five different uniforms to boot. A UFP banner is behind all the Kirks, and the UFP seal is at the bottom. The story opens in an open field of golden wheat. A figure stands looking small in the distance. A second figure calls to the first, Hey Jim, Jim! Kirk is the first figure, and his older brother Sam has found him. Big Brother tells him their parents want to spend some time with Jim before the shuttle to Starfleet Academy comes for him. They establish that they have a good brotherly relationship by kidding each other and speaking of women. Ariella is Sam's girlfriend and possibly future wife who likes the idea of becoming a colonist. Kirk's girlfriend is Ruth who says she can't accept Jim's ambition so they broke up the previous night kirk is showing regret and how he is taking the breakup breakup pretty hard when sam begins to offer sympathy to jim's loss kirk snaps out of the unmanly show of weakness and says he's with there, that, that, that i'm gonna redo that sam begins to offer sympathy to jim's loss suddenly kirk snaps out of his unmanly show of weakness and says he is too old for that kind of nonsense and initiates a foot race with Sam back to the house. The next panel shows a shuttle lifting off from Kirk's farm. The next page is actually a full two-page spread of Starfleet Academy in all its glory. A dark-haired and very young Gary Mitchell is sleeping next to Jim as they come in for a landing. Gary has been sleeping the whole way while Jim was far too nervous for any sleep during the flight. Kirk displays his aw shucks awe with the academy grounds, while Gary displays nothing less than perfect confident indifference. When Kirk grabs his bag off of a levitating luggage trolley, Gary lays claim to the same bag. They struggle over the bag that springs open and tosses the contents into the air. Gary concedes the contents are not his, and spots his bag further away from where they were standing gary offers kirk some help to pick up all of his stuff but when kirk sarcastically replies gary moves off to get his bag kirk said he was being sarcastic as gary moves to his own bag a shadow comes over kirk offering to help as he is picking up his clothes thinking it was gary again kirk gets halfway through making a snide comment and realizes he is making it to Captain Decker. Decker is not amused. Kirk's nervous attempts at clarifying his response has Decker thinking the young cadet will crash his first command with his terrible communication skills. During the orientation meeting later in the day, led by Ben Finney, the Dean of Students, he says his door is open to any questions or issues the cadets should face. To help in rendering aid, a third-year student named Mr. Finnegan was introduced, who volunteered to be a student contact. Mr. Finnegan, who, at the top of page 10, suddenly looks a lot like Jim Kirk, addresses the cadets and tells them how he was just like them three years ago. Finnegan's main point was that he was there to be their friends. With a devilish smile on his face, He says this, in the audience, Jim Kirk displays his discomfort with his and everyone else's slick new friend. After the orientation, Kirk walks, luggage in hand, to his apartment to settle in and meet his new roommate. When he enters the place, it is a pigsty. Clothes and belongings are strewn everywhere. When his sleeping roommate wakes up, he discovers that it's Gary Mitchell the sleep farmer on the shuttle flight, and the jerk who threw his clothes all over the place when it popped out of his luggage. Gary introduces himself, and Kirk turns around and leaves without a word. After speaking to Dean Finney about getting a new roommate, Kirk finds out that Mitchell was purposely paired up with Kirk. Their psych profiles indicate that they will be very beneficial for each other. Lots of room for improvements, Dean Finney says. Kirk says there is only so much he can possibly do for Mitchell. Then the dean says that it is he who needs the improvement. Kirk is shocked. When he returns to his assigned apartment, he is unhappy and tells Mitchell to get his feet off the bed. Cue the odd couple theme. Early the next morning, Kirk is up early studying what appears to be on a nineteen nineties computer room Finnegan walks in with a smile on his face saying there's always one eager beaver who's up at the crack of dawn the first day studying at that point Kirk makes the dreadful mistake of opening up to the volunteer with all of his problems Finnegan gives Kirk a pep talk and tells him what happened before does not matter what matters is that he go into class today head held high and make that good impression with Captain Decker that he has been unable to so far. Kirk feels better, energized. He confidently strides out of the room with a sign on his back saying, Call me Captain Dunzel. When Kirk is out of the room, Finnegan commences with gut-wrenching laughter. As Kirk enters the lecture room, he strides with confidence he does not 100% feel to the front row where all good students like to be. As he makes his way to an empty seat, he can hear the students behind him start to laugh. When Captain Decker enters the auditorium and tries to start his class, the laughter from everywhere except Kirk draws the captain's attention to Kirk. He steps down and walks up to Kirk and finds the Captain Dunsell sign attached to his back. Mortified, Kirk can only hold his head in his hands and say, Finnegan, you'll task me. After class, Kirk catches up with Finnegan and almost takes his head off. Finnegan makes himself a target and reminds Kirk that striking an upperclassman will get him kicked out of the academy, so take his best shot. Kirk calms down, and Finnegan offers his hand to show there's no hard feelings between them. The shocker hidden in Finnegan's hand gives Kirk a shock that knocks him to the ground. Laughter from the others in the hall is Mother's Milk for Finnegan, who departs Kirk's company walking down the hall with a joking job well done. Kirk progresses through his classes, being the class know-it-all. He always knows the answers, and he is fine with raising his hand with any questions that are asked. Naturally, the fellow students are very thrilled with Kirk. During the class, Captain Decker catches Kirk answering a question from the book without actually thinking about it. Memorization and parroting back answers will not develop an effective commander. Decker puts Kirk on the spot, in front of the entire class, and makes the point that just because a superior officer tells you something is so, you can't just believe it blindly. Captains need to judge, assess, and deduce. They have to do what is right, not just what a superior officer tells them to do. After class, Kirk bursts into the apartment mad as hell and ready to quit the academy. Gary is sitting on his bed and casually sipping on a juice box. He calmly speaks to Kirk to try to calm him down in a subtle way. Kirk vents his frustration on Gary and says he will be a space miner or something because he is just not good enough for Starfleet. Gary tells Kirk he has been watching him and he knows Kirk is good. Kirk sarcastically asks Gary, oh really, just how good am I? Gary responds in an instant saying, I trust you with my life. That causes Kirk to pause in his ranting. Kirk discovers that Gary has photographic memory. That is why he never seems to have to work much, but still keeps up in all his classes. In fact, unknown to Kirk, Gary is an excellent student. Gary stands up and tells Kirk, it's time to study. After four hours of studying, Gary tries to get Kirk to go to a party. Kirk refuses, saying he needs to keep up studying since he has no photographic memory. After Kirk falls victim to another of Finnegan's jokes, Kirk finally convinces Gary to go without him. After a little while, a knock comes to the door, and when Kirk answers the door, the party enters. Gary brought the entire party to Kirk. Kirk continues to play Mr. Serious Student, to the point that he leaves the party to sit outside on a bench to study. Gary talks a very attractive young blonde girl into going out and talking to his poor, depressed friend, Jim. She agrees, and the start of something great begins. She brings Jim a drink and talks him into drinking it despite his strong desire to study. They get to know each other, and Kirk finds out that she is a science major and a really smart lady. She introduces herself as Carol Marcus. She offers her place as a quieter place to study. He takes her up on it. They continue to drink at her place. And after a while, Carol tells a joke about Jim being utterly ruthless. As in, Kirk's former girlfriend, Ruth, who dumped him. After that, they get closer. After Kirk tells Carol why he wants to go to the stars so badly, she makes a joke about Starfleet officers doing it on impulse. And they kiss. The next thing Kirk knows, it's morning, and he is in Carol's bed. They thank each other for a very good time, and Kirk immediately asks if Carol would consider transferring to Starfleet Academy. He stupidly starts comparing anyone that would want to stay in one place, like Earth, to a worm. Carol gets angry and leaves the bed. Kirk kicks himself and then sees his exams are in ten minutes. He dresses and heads out of the door half-dressed. Carol wishes him luck on the exams and calls him a bastard for leaving in the middle of their first fight. He stops at the apartment where Gary is still asleep. They both dress and head out to the exam. On the way, Finnegan stands in Kirk's way, and he won't let Kirk pass. Gary goes around Finnegan and gets on his hands and knees behind him, motioning to Kirk to push Finnegan over his back. Kirk gets the hand motions and pushes Finnegan onto his backside. Gary and Jim continue their dash to the exam, leaving Finnegan swearing revenge as he picks himself up. They barely make it to the examination room when the automated doors close just behind them. They take their seats just as Captain Decker enters. They take the exam. After the exam, Kirk gets angry at Gary for the party shenanigans that almost cost him the ability to take the final exams. They argue with each other all the way to their apartment. That they are that they find loaded wall to wall with sheep. Gary says the only guy he dislikes more than Kirk is Finnegan. Later, while Kirk is having a swim in the pool in a speedo, Carol walks up in a fetching black bathing suit. Kirk apologizes, and they enter into the next phase of their relationship with Carol's eyes wide open to Kirk's eventual departure to the stars. The scene shifts to an academy auditorium, where Captain Decker will address all cadets. Records indicate someone accessed the test records two days ahead of taking the test. If enough people show abnormally high scores, they will assume answers were passed around and the tests will be retaken. Decker asks if the perpetrator of the test theft will come forward no one does they are all confined to the academy grounds until further notice later arguing starts about who took the test answers accusations are thrown around like baseballs on a spring day Kirk decides to do something about the mistrust that is tearing the class apart he dons an all-black ninja outfit his parents gave him as a special goodbye gift and leaves the grounds captain decker spots a dark figure leaving Kirk goes to Carol's to have someone to talk to and hits upon an idea to get to the bottom of who did it before the class tears itself apart. Carol comes up with the idea to use a friend of hers that is associated with the Daystrom Institute. They have the computer savvy and equipment that could get to the bottom of all of this. That night, with the help of an attractive Negro girl, the three of them sneak their way into the Daystrom Institute. When there, Carol's friend Lynch turns out to be sarcastic and quite the computer wizard. He is able to use the Daystrom computers to cross-reference access records to Captain Deckard's files and all other activity taking place at the same time on the Academy computer system. While Lynch is working his magic, Kirk finds out that the female friend of Carol's that helped them into the building was named Ohura. Kirk says she is good, and he wants her on his first command posting. Lynch says the query is back, and that Kirk will not like what he found. Armed with the answer to the cheating business, Kirk talks to Gary about it, and what they should do about it. He does the same with other cadets. Surprisingly, they start to listen to Kirk, and respect and agree to the next steps. Instead of being the butt of jokes and distaste for how he is showing them all up, Kirk turns the corner and becomes an informal leader to them all. The next day, Captain Decker gives them a final chance for the guilty party to admit it. Kirk stands up and admits he did it. Gary stands up and says he did it. Others stand up and do the same. One even says, I am Spartacus. Ooh, wrong story. Sorry. Decker admits that no one cheated and it was all an exercise to see if they would all pull together in an emergency or continue to break apart with mistrust of each other. When facing the unknown of space, a crew needs to work together as one or they won't survive long. Kirk asks Captain Decker if a command officer lies to them about cheating on exams, how can that build a basis for trusting commanding officers? Decker tersely tells Kirk, He wants to see him in his office. Decker tells Kirk that cadets were ready to tear each other apart until overnight they all pulled together. That night he saw Kirk sneaking off the premises against orders. Kirk explains he did research and found out that there was no cheating cadet looking at Decker's test files. So Kirk gambled that it was a test of character for the class. When he told his classmates about it, he said It was their initiative to confront Decker the way they did, as a united group. Decker says Kirk has real potential, but he needs to be less of a smartass next time in class. Kirk is dismissed and breathes a sigh of relief as he exits Decker's office. Kirk returns to his quarters where Gary has a little party going on in his honor. Kirk begins to take part when, surprisingly, his ex-girlfriend Ruth enters. She says she is moving to San Francisco to be with Jim. She does not know what will happen, but she is not ready to let Jim go. He's such a swell guy. Carol happens to be in the room also. Carol is not happy, but she goes along with it to avoid a scene. Ohura asks about the smell of farm animals in the room, which reminds Kirk of Finnegan and a transporter experiment he wants Kyle to perform on Mr. Finnegan, while Finnegan is getting ready to take the Kobayashi Maru simulation. In the middle of the simulation, with all eyes on Finnegan as he sits in the con, he dematerializes from the con. He is partially rematerialized on the Academy transporter pad in front of Kirk and Company, and beamed back to the simulation con without his clothes. The naked Finnegan immediately says it's Kirk's doing, and Captain Decker states it's going to be an interesting few years. The end. Oof. That was a long one. Yeah, it was. Sorry about that. Could have summarized more, but there was so much good stuff going on, I I wanted to get it all across. Now, on that last page, does Decker look
0: happy or upset that he's sitting there naked? Uh, does does who look? Unhappy? Um, I'm sorry, Finnegan. Finnegan. yeah, right. <laughs> I would think he looks unhappy, but in that 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 the panel on the far uh, on the top right,
1: it looks like he's one of the ones laughing too. i am I am jumping down to that page to take a look. Sure. There, there are a couple of mistakes in this comic, which I know we'll talk about, but if Finnegan looks like he's smiling and laughing. Yeah. He either has a really good sense of humor <laughs> or the artistry was not perfect. Right. So, oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, I think it's more
0: just the ha-ha-has all around his head and, right. you know, he he might be grimacing, but with the ha-ha-has and the, you know, a grimace and a and a smile sometimes look the same, uh, Yeah, it makes me think, think that he's sitting there laughing.
1: Well, yeah, maybe he's trying to laugh along, <laughs> you know, rather than being the butt of the joke, attempting to try to laugh along with it like ah, you know <laughs> but uh i don't know you're right he, he does look like he's laughing
0: and i just don't want to be the next person to do the kobayashi maru i'm sorry
1: <laughs>
0: i don't want to be sitting on that that chair
1: no no it's uh i, I think they need a moist towelette there yeah they should
0: lice all that bad boy down
1: <laughs> real good real good
0: but uh anyways no i really enjoyed this book um it obviously ties in really well with uh, the um, the the two books that we did with uh, Brian uh, a few yep. months ago. Yes, that were kind of a really? continuation of this. Yeah. I think that was uh, issue number seventy-five and seventy-six of of this series, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably right. But I don't recall. You don't recall. I don't recall. But uh, anyways, no, I thought it was good. I, I like it. Yeah, it's really good. It's filling in some really interesting territory that we have not seen before. And also comparing this to the 2009 movie, it's interesting to see the the differences. And which bits they chose to show and which bits they didn't show. Because, of course, they could only stay in Starfleet Academy for so long. I mean, they had an adventure to get to. Right. And also to see how the different staffing and events were a little bit different in the different... um, uh, uh, realities Right Yeah well
0: That's with everything I guess When you take into account the new continuity
1: Exactly So uh, you know obviously Gary was the traditional Friend in the academy of Kirk In the movie it, it's pretty much McCoy Yep
0: Yeah cause uh, you know the common, the common Star Trek Watcher doesn't know who Gary Mitchell is he was in one episode of the original series, and, and only true fans would 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 know who they are. And, and as we both know, they don't make the Star Trek movies for the true fans. They make them for the casual viewer. Because the right. true fans will go see it no matter how bad it is.
1: <laughs> right. Hopefully there's enough of them to make it financially uh, uh, viable.
0: Well, I uh, there's not enough of them to make it financially viable. That's why they have to cater to the non-Star Trek fan. And that's why we get B yeah. four know, and uh, other things that don't really fit into the continuity of the overall series. But it got people in to see the got to see data well, and okay. funny,
1: and that okay. that brings in the people. But but do you think B four was introduced uh, to, to to appeal to uh, a greater common population? Of, I of I I do. I, I, think, okay. I think that uh, they wanted to have the comedy aspect
0: and, and having a character that looks like Data acting like a little child in the trailers would draw in a certain number of people that might not see it otherwise. Interesting. And I also think that's why they make no reference to lore in the movie, uh, nor do they make reference to – Riker also having a, a clone out there, so wow. when Picard's all whining about how it feels so weird to have a clone to Riker, and <laughs> Riker's like, "No crap, dude."
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, remember it wasn't Tom? Does really he but...
0: joined the Maquis and he's in prison right now? Do you, do you not remember these storylines, Picard? <laughs> uh,
1: well, they they did reuse a couple of things there, right? And they had to the cater yeah, to
0: but... the people that aren't true fans, and well, I yeah. get it. And that's then you know the the new movie yeah. did the same thing. Let's take the little bits that everybody knows and mix it together into a new story. Yeah. Which, that's what they had to do, so.
1: And first off, I thought B4 was there because Brent Spiner was getting older. And if you're a robot, you're going to look like he did when he was, you know, in his 30s. And then with him progressing into his 40s, I think they had to have, you know, something that wasn't quite perfect. Uh, to 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 so, so the actor could really continue to play the role. That's why I thought that'd be four. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you, you 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 read this story and you say, you know, this was pretty cool. I mean, this was. I mean, I thought it was going to be like, like, oh, you know, it's uh, Academy Days. Fine, let's get through this. um so we can get back to the story but i found it to be very engaging i i I really enjoyed it and seeing how much they skipped in the 2009 movie i wasn't as happy about it but really i mean if you're going to do an origin story and fit in a full adventure in the same two-hour span you got to make cuts somewhere so.
0: Right, and at the time this was being made, uh, this this came out right before Star Trek Six came out, and uh, there was a good chunk of time in between Star Trek Five and Star Trek Six where the rumor was that Paramount was going to do an origin story, um, and so I think that's where maybe Peter David got the idea of doing this and went ahead and went with it once um, once they knew for sure that. Uh, Star Trek six was going to have the original cast. Right. But uh, there's quite a few novels and stuff that also expand on this, this uh, timeline. Right. But as we, you know, we both really like Peter David and he is able to, you know, mix in all these characters that were in just one off episodes of the original series and, and kind of weave it in, weave them all in, in the same tapestry right. uh, really well with Finnegan, Decker, Gary, Carol Marcus, even I mean,
1: I, I, I like. I, I I think that was great. I mean, the, the the idea that when they came up with Wrath of Khan and they introduced the Carol Marcus character, did they actually know? Maybe we've asked this question before. I'm not quite sure. But you know, when when we did the episode before that that talked about these days too. But later, when Carol and Kirk were uh, on on their first ship together, right. Uh, did they know that Carol Marcus was that cute little lab tack or whatever that Gary aimed at Kirk? Did they know that this did a nice job of tying that together?
0: Yeah, I've always thought that it was just a, a happy coincidence, but I do not yeah. know for sure. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was a coincidence that she just happened to be blonde in in the Wrath of Khan.
1: Okay, and then fans pet- like
0: us always want to point. That random comment in the uh, pilot to her and right. Rathicon.
1: There you go. But, but here, yeah. you know, Peter David ties them together. Yeah, absolutely. Which is masterful, I think. Yeah.
0: Yep, it was good. I, I didn't really understand the Ruth stuff, though. That seemed kind of tacked on. Or do they ever, I mean, they never reference the old girlfriend Ruth, heard, do they?
1: I've never heard a reference to Ruth. Okay. Never. And bringing her back into it at the end it makes things a little bit more complicated. Right. Uh, you know, m- maybe more complicated than I wanted to see at the end of the story. Cuz it was at the end.
0: Yeah, like the last page or two.
1: Yeah. So it's like everything's kind of if kind of cool going cool and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh getting Finn again uh, you know, Captain Decker's uh, thinking Kirk's cool, and Kirk is getting his confidence up and showing his leadership skills, abilities, and Carol and Kirk are getting along real well. And here comes Ruth to mix things up again. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah, and she doesn't show up in those later episode, or those later issues.
1: Um, Not at all. Not mentioned at all. Uh. Uh-uh.
0: So yeah, I don't really know. Maybe they were going to do something with her and never did. Who knows? Right. Yep. So, uh, you you didn't talk about all the different poses there on the cover. Um, I really like the pilot, uniformed Kirk standing there with the uh, with his arms kind of like Peter Pan on his on his hips, (laughs) with his chest all up.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. I actually, I mean, I I think there's actually a photograph of of Shatner in almost that exact pose. Oh yeah, there is. Yeah.
0: But it just looks – it looks odd. He, he looks he like he's, <laughs> he's standing there, and I want to put the little feather hat on him so he looks like Peter Pan. Ah. <laughs> or paint a big S on his chest so he looks like Superman. E- either one works for me. Either
1: one work, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like all the uniforms.
0: Yeah, so uh, what's the deal with the, like, dark burgundy, uh, like, away mission jacket and then – the uh, red uniform is the red well, uniform an admiral one, and and his uh, that first burgundy one is a captain's uniform a, a way mission uniform
1: I don't think so. Well,
0: because if you look at the icon they, they... on the on the shoulder strap, one is like a a little looks like a candy wrap, wrapped up in a, in a like a hard candy wrapped up in a piece of plastic, and then the other one is like this little cross thing. So I'm assuming one of those is the admiral, <laughs> and the other one is the captain, right?
1: Well, okay, so you're talking about the insignia right. that is on it, not necessarily the style of the uniform. Yeah, 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 sorry okay, about okay, that. Okay, no, okay. I meant the insignia, That's... sorry. Uh, you could be right. You could completely be right. But um, But that burgundy one, which I kind of like, it's got kind of like a collar on it.
0: Right, it's more of a jacket cool. kind of thing.
1: Right, and I know I've seen that before. Is that but is that one that Scotty's worn, and not Kirk?
0: Uh no, I think Kirk's worn it.
1: Okay, it must have been one of the later movies then.
0: Right, it might be five.
1: Could be, could be, because it's definitely got a pronounced. It 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 has like a lapel, it really. Is you know, you know, going around from the back, kind of like a, a modern day uh, sport coat or something. Right, which is definitely decidedly different from. You know, all the other uniforms. And, and I think I've seen Scotty in that style of uniform. I just don't remember seeing Kirk in that style. But I'm sure he was towards the end. Yeah, so. And of course, I still know you like the Red one the best. The Wrath of Khan one the best.
0: That is my favorite of the uh, original series uniforms. Unitards, right. Cool. <laughs> At least it's not the pajamas there in in the middle. <laughs> the uh, motion picture pajamas. Yeah,
1: I didn't like – those uniforms were okay, but I think we both talked about talked about that before. Yeah. Not, not the favorite.
0: All right, so uh, back favorite. to the book itself. Yes. What did you think about the Peter and Kirk moments? Are you talking about his brother?
1: Yeah. Oh, that was his brother, not Peter? Who's his brother's no. name. Uh, his brother uh, – it was um Sam. It was Sam. Sam, he, Sam. He, right, he right, right, right. Sam.
0: Samuel right. George Kirk III. He called
1: him George too, right? I think I only saw Sam, but I I, I know he's had several different names, and I know we talked about this before. You know, in different stories, he's called different things. Right. But I I I made a point of looking for his name, and I definitely saw Sam. I don't remember seeing George, but maybe.
0: Yeah. I, I, I yeah. So so there he is crying out
1: loud Sam I'm too old for that sort of nonsense Right. So I know that much
0: But he looks like he did in the uh, TV show uh, uh, Annihilation Earth right Or Annihilation Operation Annihilate Uh,
1: Operation Annihilate right
0: Where he looks just like Kirk with the mustache
1: With just the mustache
0: (laughs) Which is different than The way he looked in uh, Last episode's uh, IDW comic where he had the full beard and long flowing locks.
1: Okay, so are you talking about the new the new comic book? <laughs> yeah. The, the one
0: the one that you haven't read yet, but we will already have synopsized before we Publish this episode. So oh I, right. I was trying to tie him in there. Right, you know? continuity,
1: it's, it's... continuity. Yes, yes.
0: And I haven't, I don't have issue number six, so I don't know what his name is in it. But on the last page of issue number five, he shows up and he has this like long Jesus hair and a big beard, and and Kirk's like, "That's my brother."
1: Cool. I got to look now because I got the comic right here. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Oh have... no, actually, I read it and we reviewed it in a previous episode. Oh, there he is. <laughs> he looks like Jesus. He does look He looks look like, he he looks looks like, like Jim vehicle cuz whatever.
0: But anyway, so a little different take than what we see here where he's uh you know clean shaven with just that fine little mustache.
1: Alternate universe baby. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because he does uh look he he does <laughs> he looks like Chris Pine with a lot more hair. Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly, which I liked. I liked how they did that last uh last week.
1: Right. Last week. <laughs> Yeah, that was great last week. Okay. Yeah,
0: episode seventy-four came the week before seventy-five. Oh, were you getting confused, Kane? So
1: I don't know if you guys know this out there, the few people listening, but um, we don't always do them in the exact order that you hear them. So
0: <laughs> you're breaking the fourth wall or third uh, wall, eh, and one of those funny. walls.
1: So I watched Annie Hall last night for the first time in ages, and man, did that movie, uh, you know, b- break the third wall or whichever wall it is. He was talking to the audience all the time. Very and, interesting. And
0: that's the Woody uh, Woody Allen movie.
1: Woody Allen, Annie Hall, Academy Award for 1977 or something like that.
0: And that's the one with the little redheaded girl that sings a lot.
1: red uh, redheaded.
0: Yeah. Um. She's always talking about the sun will come out tomorrow and whatnot.
1: <laughs> that's not funny. Okay. Right. Back to Star Trek. Back to Star Trek. <laughs> I, I diverged this off, sorry. How How about on page 13 where Kirk is studying that room uh, on the first morning and all the computer it, – it's like a computer lab. Yeah, I had Look the same note. At those computer terminals. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, 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 they even yeah. they
0: even emit a, a, a green glow like those old <laughs> like those old mainframe like those terminals those old
1: mono, monochrome terminals exactly oh they're they're horrible i mean it, 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 i mean, talk about lack of foresight <laughs> on the part of the art of of the artists
0: well you know he was kind of painted into a corner because he couldn't make it look more futuristic than what the original series looked like
1: well, but but even the original series had relatively small monitors.
0: Yeah, but they also had big clunky, you know, plastic cards and
1: <laughs> You're right, you're right. I agree with that. But but these things I mean, no when I began my career in, in, in computer software, we used to have these these things uh, from IBM or AT and T. No, no, IBM that we were using on a project for AT&T and we used to call them the Darth Vader terminals. They were big, they were huge, they were black and all the all the the buttons were very clicky on the keyboards. And this the on that page it looks almost as bad as those old terminals.
0: Yeah, it does. Except almost. it doesn't have a keyboard. That's what makes it futuristic.
1: <laughs> well, okay. But it you know, <laughs> yeah. But but it's got that thing jetting out. That's built into it. That kind of looks like it could be a keyboard.
0: Right. It'd be uncomfortable to type on that thing for a while.
1: Well, I know, and that's, they probably, that's just the it's, CPU, probably man. it's probably all all voice controlled. But I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> didn't Star Trek a lot of times when he's using the computer? Didn't it look like microfish that was kind of moving around on the screen? And that was it was supposed to be the computer moving the images really fast.
1: I don't know. Uh, maybe. Yeah, anyways. Could be.
0: Anyways, like I said, I, I gave them a mulligan on that one just because they they couldn't make it look more futuristic than the, the TV show.
1: Right. I mean, but really. I mean, except for the slight angles some of the, the bottom CPU thing has, it looks like an old IBM XT computer. XT? One of those really, right, really old ones. Right, one of the first ones that that, that IBM had come out with. Anyway.
0: Yeah, before they started putting wood paneling on them and stuff like that. Or that was Apple. Never mind. Wood paneling.
1: Yeah, I don't even think. I don't think Apple used wood paneling.
0: It looked like wood paneling on the first ones.
1: Okay. Could be. Could be.
0: Well, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred had wood paneling. That was okay, but that's
1: a video game console.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying, people wanted wood paneling on their computer electronics. (laughs) Okay, good point. (laughs) Thank God they didn't have that. Okay. Anyways, you're knocking on the uh, the the terminal there. I I did not like the stupid sign on the on his back.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, you're always
0: again because it's stupid. Oh. It, it's a piece of paper. Call me it, Captain Duncan. You don't ever see pieces of paper in Star Trek yet. Finnegan had oh. one, was able to <clears throat> pin it on Kirk's it back without him knowing it.
1: Well, it had to be light so he didn't know it was there. Um, you know, what's he going to do, plaster a tablet on his back? I mean, I you know.
0: Well, plus it's it's kind of silly anyways, the whole idea of putting a kick me sign or whatever on the back of somebody. Right. These guys are supposed to be like college students. Uh, I would hope that they would be more mature than that. kid.
1: I would think so too. But hey, it, it was yeah, it was good. It was good. I, I, Finnegan, Finnegan is immature jokes. I, I think they ramp
0: up his immaturity in the comic books more than what he had on the show, right?
1: Well, I you know don't see all I, that much from just on shore leave,
0: right? And he pulled a few pranks, but, but, I mean, every time he shows up in one of these comic books, they, like, make him into, like, a Joker-type character, where he's, like, pulling these very elaborate pranks and laughing like that all the time.
1: I, I don't know. Well, this is the only comic book I've seen that I recall. Where Finnegan has popped up in it, so it is all the, I have to do is I, I can just compare it to this one. Right,
0: right. We haven't we didn't review the the first series that DC did where Finnegan showed up a few times.
1: Ah, as as a real person, not as a right. some kind of a a synthetic person. Okay. Right, right. So is he still a uh, a Starfleet officer?
0: Yep, he was, and he uh, and in the, in on the uh, cover. It has Kirk shaking somebody's hand, and then it has, like, he's like pulls back, and it's like a fake hand. (laughs) And the title says Finnegan Returns.
1: (laughs) That's funny. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So, uh, all right. So, I didn't like the uh, kick me sign. I also don't like the cadet uniforms with the weird V in the front and the V in the back.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like a 1960s. Sweater shirt thing. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it's very stylish and the style you don't necessarily like. Yep. Yeah. All right. What else you got? I got some mistakes that I just wanted to point out. Okay. Like uh, when Carol is sneaking in in the magic uh, black ninja outfits in the Daystrom Institute with okay. the hacker and Kirk. Right. In one panel, her hair magically turns black. And then turns back the blonde again in other panels. Um, that's on page 43? Uh, uh, probably. Yeah, when Ahura is distracting the guy. Yes, exactly. Distracting the, the guard.
0: Yeah. Well, that's better than Kirk's hair turning green on page 44.
1: Uh, we okay. You're jumping to them. Yes, <laughs> yes, that one too. That was the one, that was the one that I wrote down. <laughs> I just wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> oh, let's keep mentioning them. How about the biggest problem? Okay, this is the biggest mistake. At least I think it's the biggest mistake. Okay. Now, those other things are just inking problems. Okay, but what was it? There is a dialogue balloon problem. It is towards the end. Huh, I must have missed it. Let me narrow it down for you. On page fifty-one, on the top right panel. Okay. Okay. So there is a scene where Kirk is next to Ruth, and then right across from him is Kyle. Okay, who's the blonde? Who who is a blonde uh, cadet? Right. Uh, who apparently is a whiz with the transporter, and he's the guy that does the Finnegan thing. If you look at the dialogue balloons. It shows the blonde guy, Kyle, basically doing Kirk's lines, and Kirk, in response, doing Kyle's lines.
0: (laughs) Yes, you're right. I didn't even catch that. That is funny. Well,
1: that is funny, because at first, I wasn't sure who the brown-haired guy was. Because there's a couple brown-haired guys here, and even in some things, Kirk and Finnegan look a lot alike. Not all of them. But some of them. So I was. I thought, oh, that must be that must be Kyle. But w- wait a minute, Kyle's calling the other guy, Kyle, and it's like, eh, eh. and then I said, oh, that's Kirk.
0: Okay, so. <laughs> no, that's anyway, that's hilarious.
1: Yeah. Right. It took me a few minutes to figure out what was going on. Yeah, so, I
0: must not have been paying attention to the little uh, the where the balloons were pointing. I was just reading it.
1: That's right. funny. So, so quickly, it's uh, when Ohura, in Kirk's and Gary's quarters, says, Hey, I smell farm animals in here. Then what appears to be the wrong guy does Kirk's lines. Oh, yes. Thank you for the reminder, Ohura. Finnegan is scheduled for the Kobayashi Maru test this afternoon. Kyle, you're the best student in transporter physics. I have a little experiment I'd like you to run with the academy transporters. And then in response, is it in the interest of science I trust? Anyway, so, obviously, they've got the word balloons mixed up.
0: Indeed. Indeed.
1: But it's still a very good comic. Oh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, so it kind of shows you how, you know, they got production pressures putting these things together. Right.
0: Not everything gets caught by the, the editor, I guess. Right. So... My last comment was, and I don't know if you have more, but my last one was, you think the photo memory or photographic memory of Gary was supposed to be some sort of reference to his psychic or his latent psychic powers that he gets in or that he
1: had before Mm -hmm. the pilot? I had not even considered that, but maybe. He's a very talented guy, isn't he? He is, and I don't remember them
0: ever. they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, I don't remember them ever saying he had Ooh. photographic memory in the show.
1: Ooh, wait a minute. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so that's another mistake. Because didn't they say something? Didn't say they say something in the TV show when Gary's getting all of his powers about how quickly he can read? Oh yeah, that's right. Doesn't Gary say something about? Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe I'm just making it up. I thought he might have said something about being able to remember
0: everything. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because when he's going through the
1: pages really fast, like the microfish thing... Uh, right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's reading it in, like, data. Right. And he seems to remember, be remembering all this stuff, if he doesn't actually come out and say it. No, I think he does, because he said he's read the whole Enterprise library. Yeah.
0: Good point. Yeah, good catch, good catch. Yeah,
1: well, I watched that episode a lot. And you listened to it on tape a lot. I, I did. Yes, you remember <laughs> that. Okay. The last thing I have to say is, isn't it interesting how a computer hacker named Lynch ends up being the first person to call Jim Kirk Captain Kirk? I don't get the reference. What is Lynch? Well, Lynch is the computer hacker that's helping – that's the friend of Carol, Right. Who's in the Daystrom Institute. Um, computers hacking away and finding out that Captain Decker was lying basically about somebody stealing the test scores right or test answers
0: and and he calls him captain De- he calls him Captain Kirk and yeah you're yeah, just yeah, cause, saying cause, that
1: that's interesting it's inter- well because he's not a captain yet I mean right right, is, right well I mean it's in quotes though what well, well I know that I mean the, the guy's sarcastic <laughs> okay. so Lynch' is sarcastic. so because Kirk is is like kind of like ordering him around or stuff and Lynch is like Hey, I don't need this. What do what you? What do you, Captain Kirk? You know, I don't need this, Captain Kirk. You know, sarcastically. Gotcha. Uh, I just thought that was interesting because, as far as I know, this is probably the first time Kirk has been called Captain Kirk before. You know.
0: Agreed. Okay, I got you now.
1: So I, it, I, I thought that was a nice thing Peter David slipped in there.
0: Yeah, I'm with you.
1: <laughs> cool. <laughs> Shall we get to the next one? Yeah,
0: let's do it because it's a long one as well.
1: It is, and we've already spent uh, a while on this one. Yeah,
0: so we'll try to be more speedy if we can. All right, so uh, the next episode, or the next issue, excuse me, is entitled Thin Ice. It was Star Trek Next Generation Annual Number 2, which came out in 1991. Uh, The cover, or actually, let's do the credits real quick because they are different. Writer, Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Matt Haley. Inker is Carlos Garzon. Letterer, Bob Panaja. Colorist, Julianne Frieder. And editor is Robert Greenberger. All right, so the cover starts off with just a picture of Riker in the middle of the page. To the left is a headshot of Picard and Data. And to the right is uh, the torso and head of a female captain that uh, we do not know who she is. Below these faces and bodies, is a picture of a Constellation-class ship being attacked by these triangle-shaped ships. So uh, if you're not familiar with it, a Constellation-class ship is the same class as the uh, Stargazer. Alright, so the story begins with Riker telling a punchline to a, of a joke to Picard. Uh, The captain seems to be humoring his commander uh, by saying very amusing, number one. But we see absolutely no amusement on his face. Uh, Before this awkward moment can continue, Worf informs the duo that they are receiving an emergency transmission. On the viewscreen, the battered face of a young female Starfleet captain appears. She introduces herself as Captain Lorinda Hawk of the USS Marco Polo. She was on an exploration mission and her ship Had stumbled across some alien crafts And they have disabled her ship She claims that the ships are More than a match for even a galaxy Class ship Her explanation is cut off when a crewman Behind her yells, Captain there And then the whole transmission is cut off Worf traces the signal To the distant Beta Maradis sector Picard orders the crew to take them there At warp 9.2 Data informs them that that will take almost Two days to get there 1.9 1.9 days to be exact. Troy senses Riker's intense emotions. He informs the Captain and the Counselor that he knows Captain Hawk quite well. Picard orders Riker to do some research on the Beta Marda Marada It feels like there should be an N there, but there's not. Marada. So, Marada system. Once alone with his thoughts, Riker reflects on his youth in Alaska. He and a young hawk are ice skating on a frozen lake. Lorinda is fearless and skates onto the thin ice. Riker refuses to follow and she chides him for always playing it safe. She pretends to fall and he rushes to help her. Upset when he finds out that she has deceived him, Riker skates away from her. The two days pass Quickly, And the Enterprise is now only minutes away from the Marco Polo's last position. Before they can arrive, Data detects an anomaly. He is able to alter course before they run into what seems to be long black hole ribbons. So these black holes, instead of forming the normal disk-shaped event horizon, has somehow formed these long spindly arms. Uh, The Enterprise files this for later investigation and continues on their way. The Enterprise arrives to see the battered Marco Polo surrounded by several triangle-shaped ships. Worf picks up life signs aboard the Marco Polo, but he does not pick up any on the alien craft. Data speculates that the ships could be robotic drones. Riker relates that this could be um, from a yet unknown race called the Darzen. And the reason why it's unknown is, is because they've only found ruins of the Darzan civilization. They've never actually met the species. Data compares the ships to the known archaeological findings of the Darzan and confirms that there are many similarities. Picard orders Riker to take an away team over to the Marco Polo and assist the survivors. Uh, in the away p- party, there's Worf, Geordi, Crusher, and some medical officers, and Riker. As soon as they get on the ship, Riker—excuse me. As soon as they arrive on the ship, Geordie and Worf head off to engineering to get the engines back up, and Riker finds Captain Hawk near the command chair. She is beaten and bleeding, but she's alive. Crusher immediately starts triage on the survivors and starts beaming them over to the Enterprise. Uh, Lorinda is, is in the second group that, that is beamed over to the Enterprise. Uh, she fights at first because she doesn't want to leave the ship, but eventually she relents and uh, is sent over. Riker takes this time to reflect on his Starfleet Academy days. He and a group of cadets are being assigned a task of assisting a damaged ship out of an asteroid belt. Once the instructor has finished explaining the parameters of the exercise, Riker takes command and starts outlining his plans. One of the cadets inform him that they've detected a transporter signal to the other ship. When he hails the damaged ship, he is shocked to find that Hawk has beamed over and is already piloting the, piloting the ship to safety. Though the instructor finds it humorous uh, in her aggressiveness, um, Riker... Riker chews her out for not following the, the proper chain of command during the training exercise. So we flash back to the present. The drone ships seem to finally notice the Enterprise and start to attack. Picard orders a retreat at warp two. The ships are able to keep up with the Enterprise and, are, and actually take down the shields with just a few shots from their weapons. And then, without warning, the two dr- or the three drone ships break off and return back to the Marco Polo. Picard and Data speculate that the drones were only programmed to defend a certain per- uh, area, and once the Enterprise passed the uh, patrol point, they broke off and returned back to their um, original position. Picard informs Riker of this, and they pose that the it is pos- It might be possible for the Marco Polo to get its engines up and running uh, and then able to do the same thing the Enterprise did and get past the defense area. After Riker is finished talking to Picard, he checks in with Geordi on the progress on the engines, and then he allows himself w- to enjoy another flashback. So we see a young Riker. Uh, this would probably be um, 20-ish Age Riker, on an alien planet watching a sunrise. He is joined by Lorinda. She confirms uh, that Riker has been on board the USS Hood for several years now, and that she is on the USS Fearless. Riker apologizes for his reaction to her stunt back in their Starfleet Academy days. They have a brief argument, and then Lorinda confesses that she has been in love with Riker since they were kids. In fact, she only joined Starfleet solely because he did, and she wanted to be with him. The two of them embrace into a romantic kiss, silhouetted by the sunset. Sometime later, the two are sitting by a campfire. Riker is bare-chested, and Hawk is wearing his shirt. She tells him that a relationship would not work. Riker says that officers in Starfleet have families all the time. She tells him that a ship can only have one captain and and that both of them want to be captains. She also tells him that they couldn't serve on two different ships because they would always be worried about the other one. So then we flash back to the present. Jordy and Worf have completed their repairs and will soon be able to get to warp. Riker contacts Picard with the good news. Picard in turn informs Captain Hawk. Uh, She confesses to Picard that she was too aggressive when she came across the drone ships, and that she could have avoided the confrontation, but she thought that her her and her ship could handle it. So back on the Marco Polo, Riker orders warp, and they are on their way. The drones quickly turn around and follow. Even after they travel past the Enterprise's point uh, or position, the drones continue to follow the Marco Polo. They fire on the Marco Polo and knock down its shields with one shot. Picard tries to slow down the drones, but the uh, drones continue focusing on the Marco Polo. Riker has a plan to fly near the black hole strings they encountered earlier. They hope that the drone's slower reaction time will cause them to be drawn into the gravity holes. After a few intense moves, their plan works and the drones are destroyed. Sometime later, Riker visits Lorenda in sickbay. He brings her some flowers that he got from the arboretum. They both claim that the other's methods would have been better in the situations that they were in. Uh, She asks him how he became such a risk taker. He smiles and says he had a good teacher. The end.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I liked it. It was a good story. I like the Kirk Academy days better. I like that story better, but this was good too.
0: Yeah, this was a pretty straightforward action. It didn't really delve too much into... Tying in a whole bunch of loose ends from the old shows or or previous shows.
1: Yeah, he's very standalone. You just
0: uh, you know, you just know that Riker's from Alaska, and we're introduced to a, you know, a girl that he knew in his childhood.
1: Yes, who just so happened to become a, a Starfleet captain, and then towards the end we find out why.
0: Right now, I had a question about that, and I couldn't find any, any uh. Confirmation of this, but in the first season, or, or maybe even the first couple seasons, didn't Riker say he wanted to be captain and he would be the youngest captain ever
1: in Starfleet? Uh, he might have. <clears throat> he might have. Which which, he would have to beat uh, Kirk's record. Right. Yeah, and I always
0: thought that was, you know, obviously a nod to Kirk being the youngest captain at that right. time. But that got me. This, this story kind of. You know,
1: threw, you know,
0: threw that out the window because she is probably about Riker's age and she's already captain, right?
1: Um, yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. She beat him to captainhood. Hmm.
0: Right. I mean, she's not on the flagship of the Federation. She's just on an, no. an exploratory type ship, but right. still, she's captain. And, and that's also... Is there a different levels of captain Would what a captain of the marco polo have the same weight as being captain of the, Enterprise? the
1: flagship of the federation
0: or or even one of the other like the hood or something like that i mean
1: well i would think that if you're going to put a ship into deep space exploration that that's that's a pretty responsible place to be too but yeah compared to a full-size ship and by the way you had mentioned that the marco polo is it's a modified version of of Picard's original command.
0: Well, on the cover it is, and then in the sh- in the in the book itself, they refer to it as a Challenger class ship, and it only has two nacelles instead of four. Interesting point. Let's discuss that. That'd be great.
1: Okay. I, I don't want to take us away from the from the youth of uh, of the girl, but yes, it's very. I want to get back to that, but let's talk about the ships because I, I love ships. <laughs> so right on the cover, it looks like Picard's original ship. Right. It's got the four nacelles. They're organized the same way—the way they all are come together into a, a, a central structure—and then even the uh, saucer section, which is elongated in the back, looks like that, like that ship. Yep. I'm looking right at Picard's original ship. I got a—I got a pewter one of it. Right. What the devil's the name again? Stargazer. Oh, Stargazer, of course. How could I forget that? Anyway, but you're right. Inside. It only has two nacelles, and it has an engineering section on the bottom, a more conventional shape Right. In, in, from that standpoint. So it, it is kind of interesting how many times the covers are quite different from the uh, contents of the book. I mean, even the girlfriend has uh, black hair on the cover when inside the book she's got pretty much like a red, auburn kind of hair, dark red hair. right. So, right. and, and back that. to the ship
0: that. itself, uh, the registration numbers are different from the cover and the book. Ah!
1: <laughs> Figures you'd recognize that. It's 167? Uh, six, six,
0: yeah, then the the fourth digit is kind of uh, yeah, you can't really see covered it. up by the an explosion. But then in the book, it is uh, NCC-7219.
1: And that makes more sense. Right. Because 167-something is a pretty low number. That's lower than Enterprise. It is. Hmm.
0: So, yeah, I, I, I really like the design of the ship in the book. Uh, I, I've never been a big fan of the Stargazer design.
1: Well, four nacelles seem a bit overkill, doesn't it?
0: Right. I don't think it would make it go any faster.
1: Well, I think the idea definitely is for redundancy. Because you don't want, if you're in deep, deep, deep space, you don't want to be, uh, have all your, you know, your engines go bad. But I also thought it might have been for speed, but yeah.
0: Well, what did you think about the design of the USS Caspian, which is the uh, the training vessel that Hulk, Oh, that they blew up? Well, not that they blew up, but that she beamed over and flew out of the uh, asteroid oh, field.
1: The one that was disabled in some ways. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought it was an
0: interesting design.
1: <laughs> I'd have to go back to it. I'd have to go back to that particular uh, flashback.
0: Yeah, it's on page 23 through page 26. There's there's quite a few pretty good shots of it. But, uh, it kinda, what do you like about it? It kind of looks like the Obeth or Oberth uh, class ship that we saw in some of the uh, movies, uh, original series. Movies.
1: Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I'm looking – when I first saw the first time you see it on the view screen – Mm-hmm. I thought it looked like it was really kind of messed up, you know, like like damaged and stuff, even in the in the engine pylons. But right. no, it's no, it's it's intact. It just has a single engine, and then it's got a weird, like two struts coming from the saucer section up and connecting with the engine. That that is kind of a weird design. Hmm.
0: Yeah, but it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a Reliant class, but without the engineering and only one. Nacelle. One nacelle.
1: Yeah, right.
0: But then the training vessel—they're on. Uh, they never actually show a very good picture of it, except on page twenty-seven, and and I'm wondering if that's supposed to be a Constitution-class ship.
1: Oh, coming at it. Yeah, it yeah. It, it does look like the Enterprise A, doesn't it?
0: It, it does, except the it looks like the nacelles connect to the engineering section. Too low. Too low. Right. But aside from that, it does look a lot like the Enterprise A. Yep. Which I thought was cool. That is cool. So. And, the,
1: uh, and looking at the Caspian more, you know, I really didn't look at the Caspian that much. Oh really? Um, You're a ship but it does guy. look kind of cool. I, I am a ship guy. <laughs> um, and, and, but I must say, with a single nacelle design, I like I like this better than the other depictions I have seen of single nacelle starships.
0: Like the Kelvin.
1: Oh no no okay. Okay, so, fine. You caught me. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I like the Kelvin a lot. I think the Kelvin's way cool. But a lot of traditional depictions of single nacelle uh, starships uh, are weak. I mean, it basically looks like all they did is, let's say the original Enterprise. All they did is take the original Enterprise, removed the uh, engineering section completely, took one of the nacelles and just stuck it on the bottom where the uh, where the engine engineering section normally is on the enterprise right really not a lot of creativity in the design and I've seen a depiction of the same kind of thing but using the the, the new enterprise from the 2009 movie so oh, that's really? style but it's you know it does the same kind of thing it just removes the engineering section and sticks you know one of the two engines on the bottom of the strut between the uh saucer section and the nacelle. Huh, I haven't uh, seen that. Yeah, well, I mean that that I think that's just fan uh, a fan CG generation. And oh, I can okay. easily send it to you if you'd like to see it. But it is not any kind of official uh Paramount thing or right anything like that.
0: Sure. Yeah, I'd look at it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I like this better. I like the Caspian better.
0: So did you think that uh Picard really was enjoying that joke on the first page or...
1: No, nah, he didn't look like he was. Yeah, it
0: was it was a really awkward moment because it's just like the, the, the punchline of a joke and then Picard's like, oh, very funny, but he has no smile on his face at all. <laughs> and Riker's like, yeah, I thought you would enjoy that, and I'm like, he
1: didn't enjoy it. <laughs> just... well, or Riker's saying, I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> but you obviously didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like like with disappointment or something. I, I, there's a couple ways you could have taken it. Yeah, right?
0: I took it in like, yeah, I thought you would enjoy that.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, and the thing is, uh, Riker's the guy that likes to tell jokes, so... Right. Um, I mean, you think by now Riker had laid a few jokes on Picard over the years. <laughs> uh, you know. By Anyways. Now.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I... Okay, so here's my opinion of Lorinda and Riker okay when they finally explain what was going on at the end with the relationship I'm like man woman you're stupid good lord I mean it's like she she's such a she's, she's, she's calling Riker um you know blind or whatever that he never recognized how much Lorinda loved him but it's like She's just as clueless. I mean, she she seems to be an overly competitive tomboy who immediately thinks that the only way that she can get the attention of the guy she, she loves is to go out of her way to compete with him and show him up. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. I mean, talk about clueless. I mean, even if Riker recognized that she might have dug his chili and he kind of liked hers, it's like... She was always doing things to be in his face and basically, you know, you know, be in his face about how she's better than he is. I mean, it's like, I don't blame Riker for not continuing with the relationship. And maybe that's my own insecurities coming out, but it's like, oh my god.
0: Were you bullied like, by a girl
1: that loved you once before, Ken? Is, no, that, is that where this never. is coming from? It's not coming from there at all. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just saying. I mean, every turn. I mean, uh, on the ice. She not only shows him up for being overly cautious and maybe a little uh, afraid and how she isn't, but then she goes ahead and acts like, like the ice is cracking underneath her, and he's coming to, to get her and save her, and she's like, Oh, just kidding. You idiot. You came. <laughs> it's like, ah. Uh. And then she keeps doing it. Yeah. I mean, she she goes and transports over and pilots the ship out, totally facing him. In front of, uh, you know, in front in front of the training staff and the rest of his, uh, I, I I'm, just, I'm just sorry. No, I'm with you 100.
0: I mean,
1: I, I don't blame her for going like, you know, you're a bit of a B-I-T-C-H. I'll see you later. It's like, I
0: don't know. <laughs> no, I agree 100. percent. She she definitely wasn't playing that the right way. I <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> But I also thought it was weird that she said that she only joined Starfleet to be close to Halmar because he did. And yeah, and I think that if you're going to make that kind of life choice, you might be a little more vocal at, to the person that, as to why you're yep. doing that.
1: Yep. But hey, you know, obviously when she got in, she was okay with it because you know, she was off there piloting the Caspian, or yeah. not the Caspian, but the uh, Marco Polo doing her thing. Right, taking her chances.
0: So, what'd you think about the little ship design, the the drone ships? Eh, didn't they look like um, Tholian ships?
1: Well, Tholian ships, a little bit like Tholian ships, but with like I don't know, some kind of uh, like drapey kind of stylistic touches that reminds me of like a, like a movie theater or something. You know, movie theater lights. You know, around the bottom of the. Oh room, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, lights I can see or that. something. It's like some kind of Art Deco kind of look or something. Um, and I thought they were kind of weird, but eh. I mean, they, they had they had to make it look very different from from a Federation vessel, right? So they they you know achieved you know you achieved that real good.
0: Now, when when they first showed them, I thought they were Tholian, and I thought, well, okay, that's going that's going to explain why they can't uh, get any readings off of them, and then. And then, when they showed' them again, I was like, "Oh wait, that's not totally in chips, so anyways, they were weird, and they're obviously never discussed ever again
1: <laughs> you just yeah i i think I think the way they were able to um Cleverly used that oddly shaped. Uh, what was supposed to be black holes or something. Yeah, black super string black, black, strings, black holes or something? whatever black strings. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> that was terrible. I'm glad but, you um, told us
0: about that 15 pages earlier because yeah,
1: exactly. How that sure did come in handy. <laughs> um, and what about that? I mean, these okay. So as Riker is is trying to get away uh, in the Marco Polo. And they notice that when they make sudden course changes, the robotic ships are a little slow to react, but then they make up for that with uh, with their extreme speed. Right. So it's like, okay, computer control. I mean, <laughs> automated computer controlled vessels are probably going to react far faster than any human controlled vessel could even think about doing. It's just... It's like no, that 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 doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah,
0: but it was their Top Gun moment or whatever, where you had to somehow out outdo the heat-seeking missile or whatever. <laughs> what <coughs> you fly towards a you fly towards a mountain and you just turn real quick and the in the and the missile hits the mountain. I mean, that was that's what they were trying to. Do.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh yeah, Independence Day, Will Smith, yeah, right, those kind of things. That's what right. they're going for. That's what they're like, going for. Come on, what they were saying though made no sense. <laughs> if you know anything about automation, I mean, it's like, I mean, there 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 are science fiction shows where the ship was pretty doggone automated, which is definitely not the way they did things in Star Trek. I mean, that's something uh, Roddenberry set up, you know, up front. People still need to be in control. But I've seen sci-fi shows where. The computer took care of you know most of the flying, and things worked out just fine. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry, especially you know hundreds of years from now, automated planes that will take off by themselves and land by themselves. I mean, full size planes with people on them, uh, military applications, commercial applications. That's a, That exists today. I mean, not to mention these drones, that are partially autonomous. Um, you know, that's now imagine in hundreds of years from now, and then this other alien race is even more advanced than the Federation. So it's like, no, no, nope. they're going to move faster than you, Riker. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> anyway.
0: Well, it was a different civilization. Maybe they, they didn't advance that stuff.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> okay. No, I agree. Oh, that's cool. You, you know, the, you got to have a story, and sometimes you have to make slightly unbelievable choices to get the story done. So, Right. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine.
0: All right. So uh, I just have two more comments, and they are more um, nitpick mistakes. So do you okay. have anything else that's of of substance?
1: Not really, but the last thing I'll mention is uh, Jordy's tricorder is red on page 21. Ah, I hate that. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't
0: write that one down.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's all I have to say. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, morphs is too, so that's funny. Well, yeah. Maybe it's covered in blood.
1: Klingon blood!
0: Now, the two things I was going to mention is that they're on page 20, uh, right next to your red tricorders. Mm-hmm. Um, on the last panel on page 20, Riker is putting a uh, Hulk up in the command chair, and their uniforms are gold.
1: Oh, how interesting. So uh, I don't know that I recognize that. Oh, that's a long off shot. Yeah, right. right. It's, it's
0: from above, right. but suddenly right. their, their uniforms are, are gold. Right. And then the other thing I had was uh, on page 53, uh, when Riker says that uh, he couldn't get some sort of flower from the Arboretum. Mm-hmm. Arboretum is misspelled. Oh! <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> Which, at the when I was reading it, and I, and I stumbled on that word, and I was like, wait, that, oh, Arboretum, okay. And then I just went with it. And then when I was writing up the synopsis, I typed it in the way it was r- spelled there, and it came back, yeah, this word is misspelled. Oh. So they got an extra B in there.
1: Ah. Anyways. Come on. Come on. Dean of Students. Check the stuff out. All right, that was my last comment. You have anything else? Um, no, not really. Uh, two good,
0: two good stories. I don't know if I don't know if Michael Jan Friedman was told that he had to have somehow sort of tie into Starfleet Academy, or it just was a coincidence. But I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like it when the annuals kind of have the same theme, or you know, somehow tie into one another. Like last last year, they did the uh, you know guest writer thing with uh what's his face and what's his face george takei and uh, oh right uh will robinson not will robinson yeah will robinson no he didn't (laughs) do the annual um q whatever his name is john John delancey right yeah so anyways all right well then uh that if we don't have anything else we're not gonna do any elsewhere stuff so Okay. Uh we'll come back next week for episode seventy six. Excellent. Where we will do let me check real quick. Uh seventy-six we're gonna do the original series, issue number twenty-five through twenty seven. So,
1: Sounds good. Yep. Looking forward to continuing adventures.
0: So see you next time. Same Kirk time, same Kirk
1: channel. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Just get the hell out of here.